Welcome to The Advertising Show, America's only radio program focusing on advertising, media, marketing, product development, branding, new media, sales and customer relations. Stay with us for entertaining marketing discussion and our special guest interview. Now, here are your hosts, Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth. That's the Advertising Show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth back for uh, another weekend here. And so happy to be with you. Uh, the Advertising Show is being brought to you by Advertising Age magazine. You can visit online at adage.com. Advertising Show is a big radio midgets production. Well, Brad, how are you doing? Well, you really want to know? Well, sure. This okay. We can talk about this on the show. Okay. Nobody's well, listening here. Come on. It also, well, unfortunately, your wife is. We know that for sure. She yeah. always wants to keep tabs on you. <laughs> and... Uh, so is the doctor in? Let me tell you about all my problems. Yeah, really. Yeah. yeah. We've, got to, we've got a great show for you today. We've got uh, on the horn uh, John, uh, Neil Perry, Vice President of Market Intelligence at iMedia Communications, and we'll bring uh, Neil on here in about, uh, about uh, 15 minutes or so. Uh, lots of good stuff, too. As with uh, every week, uh, Patrick Meyer, the Marketing Insider, Jonathan Margolis, Guerrilla Marketing for the 21st Century, Jeffrey Gittimer is with us again. Risk versus failure. They say you can't, uh, <laughs> if you don't take a risk, not a good thing. Uh, a lot of people do. And uh, anyway, uh, Andy Borowitz, too. Uh, basically, Bin Laden is in the news again this week. And the wacky world of marketing talks about candy. And I'm not a candy fan, and I know you are probably not as well. Uh, but this is gross-out candy, okay? And we're going to learn more about that, too, as well. So coming up uh, here on the advertising show. And any t- are you there? are you still there? Oh, of course. Oh, okay, good. I'm just enjoying listening to you. Okay, well, I'll keep on talking then. <laughs> All right, we have uh, this is this is interesting, Brad. This is uh, in the uh, the AAF Smart Brief, which is, by the way, a really cool deal that you can sign up for. AAFSmartBrief.com is the uh, is the origination point, and this is actually from Advertising Age this past week. It says marketers at Cadbury Schweppes were surprised and delighted to learn that uh, acculturated Hispanics. Drink 62% more Dr. Pepper than the public at large. Uh, but creating a Hispanic advertising campaign still presents a problem. A uh, solution was to build a campaign that distinguished Dr. Pepper from its better-known rivals in the cola market by playing on its recognizable flavor with the slogan, Inconfundable, <laughs> or Inconfundable, well, meaning unmistakable. Sure. So, there, you know, as we all know, when you when you... Shoot back and forth between uh, you know uh, Hispanic uh, verbiage and 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 uh, you know English verbiage. You do have a problem from time to time in the Hispanic market, and apparently that's the case here. So, you know, uh, I don't know if you heard about this, Ray, but after successfully launching the WHTZ Z100 New York's podcast of stations, phone tap segment Clear Channel announced recently that they're expanding their podcast initiative. See, uh, Clear Channel will provide 20 news feeds from 12 more stations and. Ten more expected to launch later uh, next week. Clear Channel launched the Z10, Z100 podcast two weeks ago and has already seen 20,500 segments delivered by either podcast download or stream since the launch. And, of course, that's a great setup to tell everyone about the advertising show transitioning to our podcast, which we're going to be announcing in a couple weeks, and the fine folks at Shipple. Uh, in our home market of Houston are, are very much involved in this initiative. In fact, without them, we wouldn't be doing this. We've had a lot of requests over the past year or so from listeners around the world wanting to download our show from uh, from our website to a podcast-like device, that being, I guess, iPod and, and those kinds of uh, 
uh, wireless devices. And, uh, of course, uh, RSS, that being the stream that allows that to happen, mm-hmm. is all the rage. We're reading about it in, in most uh, news items regarding uh, how blogs as well as some newspaper media uh, companies are transitioning from their print, traditional print vehicle to an online stream of their uh, of their uh, traditional print version of content. And so I think we're going to be hearing more and more about RSS and podcasting going forward. And not to be outdone, we're right in the middle of the mix there, Ray. That's a good idea. It's, it makes it a lot easier for folks uh, interested, uh, uh, you know, especially in this show or any show for that matter. It's, it's a hot topic uh, across a variety of formats. So it's uh, kind of a cool deal, no doubt about it. Uh, looking forward to that. Uh, you can find out more about that by going to theadvertisingshow.com. And if you'd like to add the three W's before that, you're more than welcome to do that as well. <laughs> right now, <laughs> right now, let's, uh, let's check in with uh, Patrick Meyer here on The Advertising Show. Welcome to Understanding the Future Now. It's the Marketing Insider featuring Patrick Meyer. A few weeks back, it was Advertising Week here in New York City. The historical advertising characters are walking through the streets. But is it just me? Isn't it really the wrong thing to be doing at a time when an industry is struggling so hard, where they really should be focusing on what goes to the marketer, the new solutions that every marketer is screaming for? My topic today is Madison Avenue obsolete. Is advertising obsolete? The agency concept, is it working for marketers today? Advertising is alive and well. It's evolving. It's a critical part to every marketer's marketing mix. What's really lacking, though, is the agency concept, and here's why. The mega agencies seem to be thriving and buying up more and more agencies, and yet, on a profitability basis, they're getting less and less. Let me share with you what I believe marketers are looking for today and what some agencies are starting to get right. First, I would go to ground zero. I would focus on what do clients want now. Number two, I would build a leaner, faster, quicker model, one that's all about delivering those ideas. Number three, I would focus on keeping it lean and having a minimum amount of account people. If I can double an account person as a planner, that's what I want. Finally, understand once again what your client is looking for. Set up the appropriate strategic linkages to support those needs. And there, my friends, is the beginning of a new age of agency. You've been listening to The Marketing Insider, heard every week here on The Advertising Show. Join us next week for more insight into the future of marketing. This is Patrick Meyer, CEO of Now. And remember, the marketing revolution has begun. For more, go to nowinc.net. It's the Advertising Show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth. Uh, about to join in conversation here in just a few minutes with Neil Perry, who is Vice President of Market Intelligence at iMedia Communication. Let me tell you a little bit about Neil here quickly here, okay? Neil is the VP of Market Intelligence, as I said, at iMedia Communications. Uh, prior to joining iMedia, Neil was president of Neil Perry Associates, Inc., a marketing consulting firm based in the Chicago area, providing thought leadership and brand insights uh, to a number of organizations, including Frankel, a publicist agency, uh, Advertising.com, GlaxoSmithKline, AT&T Wireless, and Motorola. Previously, Neil was a 23-year veteran of McDonald's Corporation, where he last served as Senior Director of National Marketing of French Fries. Okay, just want to make sure you're listening. In uh, charge of interactive marketing as well. So we'll have Neil on. Uh, I, I, I believe Neil's in Chicago. We'll ask him that. Is, do you know where he's at, Brad? He is uh, currently in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and he just got word uh, through my headphone here, Ray. He wanted to know if you want a hot apple pie with that. Thanks, but no thanks. Oh, God. With that resume. But I would like the fries supersized. Thank you very much. 
Of course you would. Yes. Uh, GM is focusing on real workers uh, now. I, I've not seen any of these commercials. I don't know whether you have. Uh, they are launched. You mean the in, one we featured a couple weeks ago in the uh, advertising item of the week. Quite possible. Uh, yeah. uh, a national TV campaign highlighting about twenty of its Detroit area employees and move that diverts from the use of paid actors and other typical marketing marketing gimmicks. You mean like gorillas and things like that? It's been a positive thing for employee morale. It's been a good uh, rounding point for GM workers, and it's resonated with the American public. That's according to Steve Hill, who is GM's uh, general director of retail marketing. However, the 25000 that they laid off had nothing to comment about that, you see. Right, right, <laughs> which was our comment a few weeks ago when yeah. we talked about that. Uh, I think it's the campaign's called uh, uh, Employee Price is Your Price. You see that currently on the Saturn campaign that they've continued. Right. I don't know that they're continuing the GM version of that, but as we had mentioned a few weeks ago, we, we suggested that maybe the timing of the announcement of the, of the layoffs, 25,000 layoffs might, you know, right. not, it might be a good time to pull that spot so that, uh, so that they could give it a rest and then maybe be done with the bad publicity and bring it back. That's right, right. So what's cooking on your end there? Well, you know, Ray, when I saw this, I immediately thought of you. CareerJournal.com has just completed a survey showcasing the jobs uh, that are most popular based on uh, six factors, income, stress, physical demands, your, your specialty, outlook, security, and work environment. The advertising account executive category ranks number 46th. Out mm-hmm. of 250 occupations of the on the desirability index, uh, that's also, of course, when you say the account executive, that's slang for media rep. Much better than the advertising salesperson, uh, which was, uh, uh, I'm sorry, the, the 46 was much more, better than what was uh, ranked as the corporate executive, which was ranked at 51. And the NBA basketball player was ranked at 202. And, as I said, I thought about you, Ray. Yes. The disc jockey was ranked the at... disc jockey? Not at, well, your old, old career. Your disc yeah, jockey was right. ranked at 192. Okay. So you got out of that business just in time. Yeah. <laughs> well, a long time. That's, uh, that's, I can understand that, though. And the, uh, the uh, role of radio personality or whatever you want to call them is a lot different than it used to be as well. You know, it's, it's called it's, voice uh, tracking. Yeah, exactly. It's called $10 an hour. Yeah, I mean, let's get it out. $10 in the let's put some light on lu- this. If you're right? lucky, 10 bucks an hour. Yeah. All of your old buddies that are in the radio business that are now, what, on food stamps? Oh. Still in the radio business? Food stamps? I think so. Exactly. Yeah. No comment. Uh, what, do we have, what do we have here? About, uh, just about 30 seconds? 15? Okay. This is yeah. kind of cool. Uh, we've got to, we'll have Neil on here in just a moment uh, here on the advertising show. By the way, the advertising show is a great place to go to, uh, to find out uh, stuff that uh, is happening in the industry. The advertising show dot com is the uh, the official website and as, as we were talking about before uh, pretty soon you're going to have the opportunity to do uh, some podcasting stuff and actually retrieve these shows as you hear them uh, uh, after after you hear them I should say that's a new bed we'll be back in just a minute with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth on the advertising show You're listening to The Advertising Show with Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth. Men have showered me with gifts for years and years. I have chocolates and toilet water coming out my ears. But today I met my man of men. I met my king of hearts. 
at Murray's Discount Auto Stores, where he showed me all his parts. Hi. It's the advertising show with Ray Schilling's Brad Forsyth, and that is a, a classic spot from our friend uh, Chuck Bloor out in Los Angeles. And uh, Chuck has done so many good things over the years, so many good stuff. But And we've had him on the show. It's about time that we get him back, you know, Brad? Be kind Let's of fun. Book him. Book him. Dano? Dano? No, Dano. <laughs> oh, Dano. <laughs> you should no, know I'm, that. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm watching a uh, rehashed <laughs> version, and maybe they're mispronouncing his name. That's right. It's not Dano, it's Dano. It's Dano. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll put money on that one. How would you like when the, uh, the guy, who's the guy, the main character in that uh, TV series, I Hawaii Five-O? Jim, Jim McGarrett? No, that's not right. Yeah, well, that's his character name, but uh, whatever his real name, act, uh, his real Jack name Jack Lord. Exactly. I always liked the way his hair yes. flipped during the wind of the opening of that. Just oh, yeah. Half of it would flip up back and forth. Uh-huh. Yeah. By uh, the way, by had... the way, Doug is coming up with these answers. He'd like uh, he'd like uh, Hawaiian um, film star for names 50. for 50, Alex. <laughs> yeah, I understand. i got to tell you, without <laughs> Doug, we would be lost, wouldn't we? You're exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, thank well, you, Doug. Well, he'd shut the microphone off, and we'd be real lost. Neil That's Perry right. is with us here out of, uh, what would you say, Minneapolis, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Neil is a VP of Market Intelligence at iMedia Communications. Neil, thank you for taking your uh, time out of your weekend to join us here on the Advertising Show, and welcome. Listen, it's my pleasure. I've uh, listened to your show before, and it's great to be a part of it. Very good. Well, you're kind to say that. Uh, let's get out of the way what in the world a VP of market intelligence does for a company like iMedia Communications. Neil. Yeah, I think any time you associate the word intelligence with my name, there's a potential for a problem. <laughs> well. but, uh, uh, what I do is I head up their publishing division. iMedia is kind of a voice of the interactive industry, so what my role is to publish a series of specific reports, and we sell them. Uh, we're out to make a, a buck now and then. Uh, reports on broadband, reports on behavioral targeting, on rich media, subjects of interest to the uh, interactive community. Yeah, and I must tell you, I do have in my hands before me the rise of broadband and implications to marketers and advertisers, and we're going to jump into that uh, here very shortly. You mentioned behavioral targeting, and for those that are interested in behavioral targeting, which is all the, the rage right now, you can't read anything about uh, uh, new things going on in marketing and advertising without uh, seeing something on behavioral targeting. If you're interested in that, make sure and tune in next hour because we're going to uh, really zero in on a, a new report that you're going to be having out, Neil, I believe, in a, a month or two. But we'll talk more about that in a minute. Let's let's uh, jump real quick back to broadband. Do you think consumers today, Neil, still think of broadband as only high-speed Internet connection? Well, I think it's uh, it's become more than than just a vehicle that's communicating media and information. I, I think now it's like a it's like their right arm. I mean, you talk to a mom or a dad and ask them, you know, uh, for directions, and they don't even pick up the phone anymore. They're going online because of the always-on nature of high-speed internet connections, and they're getting their directions that way. So it, it's really a life changer um, uh, than it is a medium issue. Yeah, well, well, give us some sense of uh, audience in terms of demographics and uh, size and so forth for a broadband uh, uh, user versus a dial-up. Well, you know, if we were talking just about uh, a week or so ago, I would have told you that 55% of all online households are broadband connected right now, which is the first time it's really eclipsed that 50% mark. But I just read the other day that eMarketer has upped the ante and said that their projection is by year end it's going to be 57% of all online households are wow. connected with either DSL or cable 
uh, or satellite. There's a lot of different ways you can get uh, a broadband signal. But it's, it's, really, it's, really, it's really exponentially uh, growing uh, rather than just a, a, a gradual grow, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's, uh, it's very similar to you look at the growth of 99-cent music downloads. I mean, who would have thought it would have been at the level and scope that it is today? It's the mm-hmm. same with broadband. Everybody has to have it. Of course, Neil yeah. got all of his downloads from Napster for free. So, of you know, course. What can I say? Right. And if you're, you know, Sony and you're hearing that, well, we'll give you his uh, attorney of, of record so you'll know yeah, who to sue. So far. The, uh, yeah, we have about 30 seconds left here, uh, Neil, just uh, very quickly. What, AOL, uh, are they still struggling as a result of all this growth in broadband? You know, I think AOL is struggling a bit. Uh, I think, though, they have the resources, the size, and the intellect on staff that they're going to find a way through this. I think the launch of AOL.com, which is the free access portal for uh, for America, I think that's going to have a significant difference down the road. So I'm optimistic. I'm very, very bullish on where they're going to net out. As the advertising show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth. We're going to take a break here for just a moment. And uh, in just a few moments, we'll get Neil, of course, back on the uh, on the line here as well. But uh, we've got uh, Jeffrey Ginnimer on the way here. Risk, failure, something to listen to and something to stay tuned for here at the Advertising Show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsythe. Decisions about your company's advertising strategy. This is the Advertising Show. Yep, doing our laundry this weekend as we're on the air uh, <laughs> on the advertising show. Pardon me? Get, Get the, the shout, shout out. out. Exactly. Uh, we've got Neil Perry uh, on the horn, and uh, Neil is Vice President of Market Intelligence at iMedia Communications. We'll get back to Neil's uh, the interview. We've got them both hours, too, which is great. Uh, but right now, let's check in with Jeffrey Gittimer on the Advertising Show. Quick Takes on Sales and Customer Relations with Jeffrey Gittimer, nationally syndicated columnist in the network of city business journals and other great publications worldwide. If you're offended by common sense commentary, don't you dare listen. Now, here's Jeffrey. Risk, failure. There's an old expression that says, no risk, no reward. (laughs) I say, no risk, no nothing. All creative people take risks. It's the nature of the process. Daring to think something new or try something new. The best example of creative failure I can give you is Thomas Edison. He's also the best example of creative success. He thought, he studied, he tried, he risked, he failed thousands of times, and he succeeded big time. Thousands of brilliant inventions and idea, and tens of thousands of failed ideas and inventions. Wherever your creativity takes you, risk comes along for the ride. It's a natural part of the process. Enjoy the thrill of it, like you would a roller coaster ride. Hey, if you fail to get a hit in baseball two out of three times for 20 years, you'll go to the Hall of Fame with a 333 batting average, baby. There's nothing more fulfilling than seeing your idea put to use. No matter how small or grandiose people tend to brag, be proud of, and take ownership of their idea. Hey, you see that over there? Yeah, I thought of that. 
Even if it's just moving something from one end of the room to the other or setting up a new configuration of the same equipment or creating a slogan, there's huge pride in seeing your idea. Quick takes on sales and customer relations from The Advertising Show, the only radio show in America featuring Jeffrey Gittimer as a regular weekly guest. To learn more about his books, tapes, CDs, and speaking engagements, log on to Gittimer.com, G-I-T-O-M-E-R.com. And tune in next week when we'll hear Jeffrey say, This is Jeffrey Gittimer, reminding you that if no one responds to your ad, it may be because your ad sucks. On the Advertising Show, it's Ray Shillings, Brad Forsyth. And uh, with our uh, interview today, it's uh, Neil Perry, who's Vice President of Market Intelligence at iMedia Communications. So this uh, this is um, this is an ad week uh, uh, story, Brad. This is mm-hmm. very interesting. And you, both everybody knows how we feel about focus groups. Yeah. When U.S. Cellular's marketing agency, G-Wiz, what a great name for an agency, G-Wiz went trolling on blogs to find out what cell phone users were complaining about. They walked away with ideas for a new ad campaign without shelling out a dime for focus groups. That's a good thing. Increasingly, blogs are seen as a free and reliable source of market intelligence. Interesting. I thought, uh, how, how very interesting. You know, as, as I said before, focus groups... Eh, don't like focus groups, but uh, how, how very interesting to touch with the people who are uh, talking about uh, uh, a particular product. What do you think about that, Neil? Well, you know, I've, uh, I share these same concerns that you have on focus groups. Sometimes they could lead you down a path that uh, really isn't uh, uh, the way a company ought to be heading. Blogs, though, really are doing a great job in the industry of identifying consumer issues early on and also, you know, what they're thinking about what's needed out there that is an un- unmet demand or unfulfilled desire. So I think blogs are going to be fascinating. It's just I think it's going to be real interesting to see how corporations adopt blogs and whether or not they feel comfortable uh, letting themselves out in front of the consumer base that way. Yeah, agree. Yeah, well, let's talk. Let's talk research, uh, Neil. Uh, iMedia reports first release, as you mentioned last segment, the rise of broadband and the implications to marketers and advertisers. Uh, curious, uh, lay some groundwork for us. What was the objective of this study, Neil? Well, one of the things that we uh, saw, iMedia deals directly with brand marketers around the country. And increasingly they were coming to us saying, we don't know how to take advantage of of broadband coming on so quickly. What are the advertising approaches that consumers who are online are going to be interested in seeing and are willing to watch? You know, Should we just run our 30-second TV commercials online, and is that going to be effective? So we went out and interviewed industry leaders and people who have been experimenting with it. I mean, MSN has done a great job. And we just asked them, you know, tell us a little bit about your experiences to date so we could fill in the online community about what's working and, more importantly, what's not. Hmm. That's, that's really, uh, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about what you discovered in your research about uh, formats for uh, broadband advertising, and some work and some don't. But before we jump into that, let, let's talk a little bit about uh, some of your major findings in the report of the rise of broadband. Is there a number of ads that broadband users consume in terms of uh, uh, just on a uh, regular type basis? You know, I did, we weren't able to ascertain exactly a number that uh, that they're consuming. We did learn, however, that when you load up a page with multiple large-size ads, it's the same problem as with television when you load up a commercial pod with seven or eight spots. There's, there's an overkill factor that consumers dislike. We'll talk about it probably in the next hour, but uh, some of the behavioral targeting people, instead of running 
automobile ads on the auto sections of sites like Yahoo or uh, USA Today, they are moving them out into either a finance section or a lifestyle section and are finding the results are much better because there's less clutter. You don't have two or three cars being advertised at the same time. Yeah, well, I mean, let's, let's compare broadband to uh, narrow band, brand, uh, band users. So were there any uh, ongoing relationships that you could draw in terms of the uh, behavior? Now, I don't want to jump into next hour's subjects in terms of yeah. our behavioral targeting, but in general, uh, broadband consumers versus narrow band, any significant findings there? Well, it, uh, it was remarkable when you look at it over time. The, uh, we call it a disruptive technology and then an intrusive technology or an interactive uh, technology. Long ago, when you were only getting access from a dial-up uh, approach to, uh, to online, you would think about those things you wanted to accomplish. You would go to the back of the house and leave the family, maybe go into the den or the family room where the computer was. You would go through that annoying procedure of dialing up, and you would try to get all of your work done very quickly, maybe spending 20 minutes online. In today's day and age, with uh, the high-speed online broadband always on, uh, you're probably logging in or going online maybe 20, maybe 30 times a day, but each time it's only like for two or three minutes, and you're probably doing it from the kitchen, you know, from the family room with the kids around, from uh, uh, out in the back deck with the Wi-Fi connection. You're no longer leaving the family. Uh, it's now become, you know, ingrained into the lifestyle of the family, and that's a fascinating hmm. lifestyle change. And I think does that, what impact does that have to marketers when they consider uh, online marketing and the kind of messaging that they're going to be doing in that environment? Well, you know, when when you think about what you're looking at when you're at work uh, with broadband, I mean, you're looking for a quick sports score, maybe how your stock portfolio is performing, maybe a quick look at the news. But life is so much more leisurely at home, so you're looking for – you know, is Tom Cruise actually going to marry this new girl? Is uh, uh, What's the latest movie review or movie trailer that I can watch? Um, what about this character I saw in my favorite soap opera? Can I get some more information about that? It's a much more leisurely, much more uh, uh, less hectic environment. And as a result, people are looking at different things as well. Uh, they're looking for do-it-yourself projects and where to find information about do-it-yourself stuff. So uh, advertisers, I think, have to recognize this and start saying, okay, the, the old traditional content that if I wanted to reach everybody, I had to be on ESPN Sports is no longer valid. I've got to think about Entertainment Tonight. I've got to think about USA Today. I've got to think about you know the do-it-yourself channels that are out there right now. Mm -hmm. So, you know, back to your, your comment about where they're accessing the Internet at home, for example. Uh, with the increased use of broadband becoming one more thing consumers can do during commercial breaks, I guess, as they're watching traditional television through, through their cable, how many viewers still watch uh, commercials today with the onset of DVRs and TV? Do you, do you know any enough figures on that? You know, we don't have exact figures, but I think it's been all over the news that uh, uh, clearly people are not focused on television advertising or commercials now uh, to anywhere near the extent they were five, ten years ago. DVRs, though, are still a, a growing phenomenon. Um, certainly those people who have DVRs and use them frequently are not watching television commercials. There is no question about that. They are zapping through them as uh, quickly as you could hit that little forward button. There's a report uh, out this week, by the way, in the Wall Street Journal, Neil, that's uh, saying it says one in ten ads could be skipped by 2009, according, uh, according to Accenture. It says by, uh, by 2009, some 40% 
of U.S. homes will have digital video recording systems such as TiVo, and about 10% of TV advertisements may be skipped over as a result, according to, uh, like I said, the study by Accenture. At present, they say about 8% of the U.S. homes have the DVR technology. So. I tell you that uh, one out of ten to me seems very a uh, very low number. Yes, I mean, yeah. For anyone who's experienced TiVo, and I certainly I encourage everybody to, uh, it is a remarkable device. But uh, once you get used to using it, a, a high percentage of commercials are glossed over, and uh, that's just the reality of the way people are watching it. Yeah. Plus, you're taking a one-hour show and you're moving it to like two or three hours later in the evening when you have more time to watch it, and you you just want to get through it quickly. So there's a time crunch. The working against advertising as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and time shifting going on so much now, not only with TiVo, everyone mentions TiVo, but of course with the digital cable. I mean, my goodness, that's typically part of that uh, package where cable viewers now can uh, time shift and store uh, just as they can on TiVo and also shift or go past commercials as well. So I think the advertising environment and where advertisers have to consider where spots are uh, performing where they used to it used to be easy to determine that it was a, in a particular time environment and so forth. That's becoming more difficult uh, each day as we go forward into this new media. So, some of the top uh, online advertisers, Neil, uh, in terms of uh, media exp- or dollar expenditures, uh, tend to be, I guess, GM. I, we see a lot of Procter and Gamble product out there, uh, Johnson and Johnson, just to name a few. What, what industries in general do you feel are benefiting most from broadband marketing and advertising? Well, the two that come to mind that are really reaping the benefits are certainly you already mentioned automotive. The automotive industry has found a way to really, in a non-threatening way, communicate directly with their consumers about the attributes of their car, about designing your own car uh, without a heavy-breathing salesman uh, following you around a showroom. And and they're taking that information, then walking into the showroom and making a purchase they feel very comfortable with, armed with a lot of information. The other industry, though, is uh, entertainment. Uh, entertainment and broadband are a perfect match because people, especially if they're accessing from home, they have the two or three minutes available to them. They could sit down and watch a movie trailer and get some information about a film they'd like to see, and, and the entertainment industry is just loving it because uh, it's a perfect environment with people leaning into the screen, watching the details of their movie that's about ready to come out. Uh, what a perfect environment for showcasing a new film. Yeah, Mitsubishi a few years ago uh, had their online uh, tie-in to traditional media with a television campaign that delivered that audience to a uh, internet uh, connection or to a web uh, microsite, and I think the title, as I recall, was "See What Happens Next." And more recently, we have uh, Audi that we featured here on the advertising show as the uh, advertiser showcase that's doing a. Uh, Campaign, many have seen it, I'm sure, that has to do with finding a, an Audi that supposedly has been uh, stolen. But we'll talk more about that next hour, along with behavioral targeting, which is something uh, it's all the talk. And uh, you're, you are certainly the ideal person, Neil, to talk about that. And we'll yeah, we'll Neil, save that for next hour. You can take a bathroom break at this point in time, Neil. Okay, you're allowed. To do <laughs> Thanks. As we all to say to all, all our guests, please wash your hands. Neil Perry, Vice President of Market Intelligence at iMedia Communications, and we'll be back with Neil uh, next hour. On the way, the Advertising Showcase with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsythe on the Advertising Show. Make your advertising dollars work smarter. You're listening to The Advertising Show with Ray Schillens and Brad Forsyth.
then nothing takes it off like Noxima medicated shave. Okay, now Brad is dancing around the studio with Doug. How you like my uh, thong? Yeah. <laughs> it's a very nice thong. Thank you. So how many verses does it have? Thank every a few tunes. Every, every week we look at the upside and downside of advertising. By the way, we're going to have Neil back uh, next hour no, as well. If you no, I, he just called. He said he's not sticking around for this. Really? I would, it's I would. called behavioral targeting. Okay. We have to, we have well, to figure out his behavior. We're going to call him back, and then we're going to spam him. Uh, Neil, Neil will, be, will be next hour. Anyway, back to uh, what we we're talking about here. The uh, the good advertising and bad advertising that we do every week is an opportunity to look at what's good and what's not so good about advertising. This week, it's good. And now it's time for the Advertising Show Advertising Showcase, an outstanding example of on-target advertising. For the good stuff, here's Ray and Brad. It's all good. Well, yeah. at least this week it's all good. Correct. What's good? Well, Pepsi's Kaleidoscope uh, TV spot, 15-second spot, created by TBWA Shite Day out of Los Angeles. And I must say, we want to give a little credit here, Eric uh, Grunbaum, as well as art director Scott Trattner uh, and senior agency producer Sybil McCarthy have all uh, combined with other staff members to create an outstanding example of how to reach the young soft drink consumer with a new TV spot for Pepsi One. If you haven't seen the spot, the spot uh, is very... uh, very unusual treatment for a uh, soda company, I must say. The spot opens with a shot of the Pepsi One can in the middle of the screen with techno, I'm calling Indian-style music accompaniment. When you see the spot, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about here. And we see several sh- uh, screenshots of the different parts of the Pepsi One can twisting and turning on the screen and tight shot of the uh, uh, Ray's favorite, the Sweetened by Splenda one-calorie line on the bottom of the can. That's what you use, don't you, Ray? Splenda? Yes, I do. Yes, I yeah. do. And uh, it's always helped those uh, that rash that you used to get from that other sweet sweetener, artificial sweetener. What was it? <laughs> I don't know. The Nutri- stuff. Nutri-sweet, yeah. yes. The exactly. Nutri-sweet, yeah, right. the blue. Yeah. Right. Uh, anyway, the visuals start multiplying on the screen, and they continue to spin, and the product moves in a variety of ways up and down to the music, of course, all coordinated with the music. And the spot ends with uh, revealing uh, all of these spinning Pepsi One cans combining and blending into one can as the... Uh, as it now uh, pulls back from the uh, multiple broken-up screen that you see. If you're following any of this, I know I'm not. Anyway, uh, it ends with a voiceover, Try the great new taste of Pepsi One, the one sweetened with Splenda brand sweetener. And I must tell you, Ray, the the consumers today are are certainly performing a balancing act in terms of wanting great-tasting foods, as we all do, and beverages, but yet they're uh, wanting to limit their calorie intake. And uh, it's been reported that Pepsi's planning a summer-long push behind its entire diet soft drink portfolio and this is a great example of uh of a uh a treatment where it's really going to get noticed so when when you see a fast-paced and unusual visual execution as this case with pepsi one spot you don't have to be 15 years old or act like it ray to uh, know that this uh, creative is going to resonate with their young sure. target if the visual treatment uh, of the spot doesn't stop you in your tracks. The fast-paced, high-energy music certainly will. Uh, and if you have not seen this spot, log on to adcritic.com. You'll have an opportunity to view it there. Or if you're over the age of 40, just uh, check out what your kids are watching on TV and look over their shoulder. I'm sure you'll see it. Uh, congratulations to Pepsi, TBWA, Shiat Day, Los Angeles, for this week's Advertiser Showcase item this, of the week. The one thing they're missing, airplanes. 
airplanes. airplanes. They're saying, uh, this is from AdAge this week. Uh, it says, aerial banners can reach upward of three-quarters of a million bathers on Lake Michigan, a half million on the Jersey Shore, and well over a million sun worshipers along the beaches around Los Angeles. They say finding consumers in the sweltering summer is a little bit easier than you think. As a marketing ploy, hiring a plane to trail a banner above a beach may seem small potatoes, but in fact, the number of impressions might make some cable TV advertisers jealous. Well, uh, very interesting. You know, you ask yourself, just because you fly a banner over a beach, it doesn't mean you really reach them. It just means you put it over a bunch of people down there. It doesn't mean that they actually read it. Well, you, Am I missing something here? Well, you're exposing yourself. I think that's one way to look at it. Well, you got same. put in jail for that, though. Once. That's that's not true. And <laughs> say, say that's not true. All right. We've got uh, Neil Perry back with us next hour on the Advertising Show. Neil is Vice President of Market Intelligence at iMedia Communications. And uh, it's good to have Neil spending some time this weekend with us. The Advertising Show brought to you by Advertising Age Magazine. You can visit online at adage.com. Remember, you can also go to our website, TheAdvertisingShow.com to find out a whole bunch of stuff. That's TheAdvertisingShow.com. So back next hour with uh, Jonathan Margolis, Andy Borowitz, and the Wacky World of Marketing, too. On The Advertising Show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsythe. The Advertising Show is a Big Radio Midgets production. Welcome to The Advertising Show, America's only radio program focusing on advertising, media, marketing, product development, branding, new media, sales and customer relations. Stay with us for entertaining marketing discussion and our special guest interview. Now, here are your hosts, Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth. It's the Advertising Show, hour number two. Glad that you're back with us and hope you had a chance to check in first hour when our guest was Neil Perry, Vice President of Market Intelligence at iMedia Communications, and we'll have Neil back on here in just a little while. Advertising Show is being brought to you by Advertising Age Magazine. Visit online at adage.com. Advertising Show is a big radio midgets production. This hour, in just a few moments, Jonathan Margolis is talking about body branding. No, that's not tattoos. Andy Borowitz, uh, Osama. It's kind of interesting. They had a picture of Osama, Brad, uh, next to, uh, what's his name, Rumsfeld, right? It would have been so funny if somebody had an Adobe Photoshop and actually painted the, they said, we know where Osama is. They, they, they could have had the background kind of float <laughs> into the Osama picture. It's like, he's right there. He's right next to you. Go get him. Also, the wacky world of marketing, too, and it's gross-out uh, candy this hour. Have you ever had gross-out candy, Brad? Well, I'm sucking on something right now. Okay. How's it that? taste? Pretty good? <laughs> kind of gross, actually. Okay, well, then no, you it. I'm but, looking forward to that. You've teased that quite a bit, so I'm not sure really what that is. Well, they is, bought two I, teases, so, you know, what they can did? I say? Yeah, well, exactly. You know, uh, we ended the uh, last segment talking about aerial uh, advertising, and several weeks ago you and I talked about, uh, what was it? It's uh, in-theater advertising, and I think it's a, a, there's a correlation between, sorry? It's a lot of, it's a lot of news. Uh, I've seen ads and, and, and so on and so forth about theater advertising. Yeah, well. there's a lot of controversy going on right now about, uh, which has always been my complaint, which is, you know, these, these people, these moviegoers, they pay to go see a movie, and then they're supposed to sit there and watch uh, 
uh, commercial after commercial of paid advertisers in the usually an advertiser in the in the neighborhood wanting you to buy their right. uh, services for air conditioning or you know the gas station around the corner or whatever but you know to me the puzzle about advertising and a lot of advertisers are attracted to that they think well I'm able to localize my message for those people that go to that local theater and so forth I think you got to really consider the environment you're advertising in which in this case you number one not all individuals are going to be sitting there watching the ads before the movie because not everybody gets there before the movie starts, number one. Number two, I think there's a bit of a negative view of advertisers getting in front of these paid uh, theater goers to expose your message in that way. And people just aren't, I think advertisers aren't thinking about the environment. You mentioned uh, aerial advertising, and, you know, Mm -hmm. it's another example. Whether you're flying over a a group of 10,000 people on a beach or whether you think you're getting your message in front of a captive audience in an in-theater environment, the question is, A, how many people are talking among themselves and not really looking at your ad, uh, even though it's on the screen? How many people are not looking up uh, at the uh, aerial message going by a uh, biplane in front of you or uh, 3,000 feet or whatever the case may be? 1,000 feet, Brent. Yeah, well, whatever they are. But, I mean, they count the number of people, and they assume that they're getting a reach of the people down on the beach, and I think there's, I think that's a misnomer. I think you'd have to be rather s- stupid to think that just because a plane flies over a number of people that, yeah. as an advertiser, you're going to reach those people. True. They're not all uh, targeted into your, uh, to your target. Basically. Well, how about standing down on the beach and looking at the people while your aerial message goes over and see how many people are actually looking up and reading it? That might be the first clue as to how many people you're mm-hmm. reaching. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting thought. Uh, d- before we get into Jonathan Margolis here, this is interesting. Uh, we've talked about this before. Uh, out of uh, CMO Magazine, it says, While marketers are increasingly focused on carefully gauging ROI, there is at least one area where advertisers continue to check their gut feeling uh, more than uh, any quantitative studies, and that's called celebrity endorse- endorsements, boys and girls. Endorsements. Endorsements. Hey. One key to succeeding with a celebrity is to, to decide on the message first. Okay, I'll go for that. And then you find the, find the famous person who fits that message rather than the other way around. I think to me. Uh, yeah, it does. But it, but it goes so much deeper than that. I mean, come on. Uh, you know, and so many. Hopefully, of, there's some relevance, right? Yeah, exactly. And so many of the so many people who use uh, celebrities on a local or national basis really don't think that true. They they're just mm-hmm. enamored with a particular person, and right. they want to be able to tell their buddies at the bar that you know we I got we got Jim Bob. He's our spokesperson. No, you got Jim Bob. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whoop-de-doo. Anyway, right. uh, it's, it's kind of interesting. Let's uh, let's uh, check in with uh, Jonathan Margolis right now here on the Advertising Show. And now it's time for Jonathan Margolis with Guerrilla Marketing for the 21st Century. Last week I discussed how the world of non-traditional marketing generates all sorts of new and interesting ways of creating visibility and awareness for a product or brand. And I'll continue to discuss such forms of media in the weeks to come. In the meantime, you may be asking yourself, Where's it all going? Look, whether or not these forms of alternative marketing will continue to proliferate and flourish depends on who you ask. The skeptics are still skeptics, and the agencies that make their livings from alternative marketing continue to sing its praises. My feeling is this. Brands will use what works, and when what they're doing doesn't work, they'll find something else that does. Agencies consistently impress their clients with creative, impactful, non-traditional marketing campaigns. It's up to these agencies to stay ahead of the curve, not only by providing innovative solutions to marketing problems, but providing solutions that continue to make clients happy. 
Brands will let them know if they failed in their mission by taking their business elsewhere. It's marketing Darwinism, and it will ensure the development of innovative marketing solutions indefinitely. For now, this is Jonathan Margolis for The Advertising Show, reminding you, it's a jungle out there. Be a gorilla. This has been Gorilla Marketing for the 21st Century with your host, Jonathan Margolis, president of the Michael Allen Group. To learn more about Jonathan and his company, log on to michael-allen.com. On the Advertising Show with Ray Shillings, Brad Forsyth. Remember, you can find out more about what we're doing here on the radio by going to theadvertisingshow.com. A wealth of information. Here's well, one for you, Brad. You've been playing hmm. with the Barbies. Uh, well, I, no, ever since I've got my set of Kens, why should I? Okay. To combat a drop-off in domestic and worldwide sales, Mattel is uh, is uh, basically uh, putting some personality in the Barbie brand, most noticeably with a musical show. It's an 80-city two-year tour called Barbie Live in Fairytopia, uh, the first time since a live actress will portray a blonde bombshell, the blonde bombshell, since she arrived on the scene in 1959. I'll bet I th- Clear I Channel's was... involved in that. Let's see. Eh, it doesn't say, but my money's on out. that, too. Yeah, Check right. it <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah SFX uh, event, right? Uh, right exactly. Well, SFX. They've renamed that. I don't know if you heard that, but several months ago, uh, Clear Channel went back to SFX in terms of their uh, mm-hmm. the naming of their production arm. Right. right. And, you know, we talked about the gut milk ads. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we talk about how, unfortunately, many marketers out there have... Uh, spoofed the got milk ads and tried to say got tickets or got whatever and I think it's rather annoying to see uh, to see some advertisers just doing a me too strategy but here's one that I thought was rather clever frankly the physicians committee for responsible medicine and that's called the PCRM they're calling themselves launched a campaign to draw attention to the problem of lactose intolerance and the offer of legal assistance to those who may have been sickened by dairy products. The ad is scheduled to launch mid-June on metropoli- uh, metro rail platforms, uh, meaning inside trains and buses. Mm-hmm. And the message reads, got lactose intolerance? Mm-hmm. 75% of people do, and it goes on to talk about how you have grounds for a lawsuit. I'm not a big uh, fan of uh, uh, promoting litigation, uh, but yet nonetheless, uh, PCRM is also launching a website effort to support the ad campaign. So, Got lactose intolerance? I thought it was a pretty clever uh, play off of the Got Milk uh, campaign. It's, it's definitely I mean, a new twist fi- on finally that. Finally, there's some relevance there, you know, instead of just copying somebody. Yeah, and, you know. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like the gorilla on the automotive dealership or something like that, yes. It could be, yes. We have uh, a couple of minutes before we get back into our interview with uh, Neil Perry, v- Vice President of Market Intelligence at iMedia Communications. Uh, this is interesting. If you've got a, between a hundred and a half a mil to plop down, uh, you can land a season-long branded entertainment deal for uh, one mention per game in the radio broadcast of the Yankees or the Mets. What would you pick? I think I'd well, go with the Yankees. I'd Thank go with the one hundred. What do you mean between one hundred and, and five hundred thousand dollars? A hundred dollars or five hundred? One hundred thousand or five hundred thousand? Oh, no, I didn't yeah. hear the thousand. Yeah, I was going to say, time. I'll have the $100 one. Be one second. <laughs> exactly right. I guess. The uh, practice long uh, predates the notion of product placement and has been uh, honed by the broadcasters into an art form. As Mets announcer Gary Cohen says, you don't want to intrude on the action at the same time you're giving the sponsors their money's worth. So you get a mention per game, hmm. uh, one hundred to 500000 for the season-long game. That's, yeah. I don't know whether, what, is that, what does that come down to? 
That's pretty expensive. <laughs> for do, you say you, do you want the five hundred dollar, uh, five hundred thousand dollar mention? Does that mean it's a real long one? Or what I tell them mean? it includes your slogan and your phone number, which nobody will remember. By the of course way, not. Uh, of course anyway, not. But uh, I thought it was rather interesting as well. You know, we've talked a lot about newspapers struggling, Ray, and I know we're about to wrap up this segment. But Scarborough Research re- uh, recently released just last Thursday a new metric that combines the audience of traditional printed newspapers with the audience of their websites. Uh, and the analysis found that the newspaper websites are contributing significant numbers of readers who did not necessarily read the print version, resulting in larger audiences overall. In addition, the audience uh, for newspaper websites tend to be younger, no surprise there, than their uh, traditional printed version. So they're mm-hmm. figuring out a way to combine both online and offline or the traditional version. And now how you combine that to be able to package it for advertising, I guess, will be the next uh, thing we'll be reading about soon. But yeah. at, at least an idea there of how to how to do something of a, about a dwindling and uh, decaying audience, that being the newspaper audience. Yeah, good idea. The time is now, folks. Mm-hmm. Neil Perry years. back with us here on The Advertising Show, and uh, we'll do that in just a minute. hope you can stay with us for the rest of the hour as well. We'll bring back Andy Borowitz and the wacky world of marketing, too, here with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth on The Advertising Show. You're listening to The Advertising Show with Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth. News Ajax! Boom, boom. Colgate's new Ajax cleans all bathroom surfaces up to 50% faster. News Ajax! Boom, boom. The booming cleanser. It is the weekend and you should be cleaning something. I mean, come on. Your car, your ears, your bathtub. Who knows? We're uh, Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth here on The Advertising Show. Our special guest, uh, Steve Perry. No, Neil, Neil Perry. Perry. Right. No, Steve, we were just talking about that. Was he a golfer? Steve Perry is with Journey. And uh, Neil, is that, is that like your, your uh, younger brother or something like that or what? No, I wish. I'd like to have some money in the family. Yeah, wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> yeah. You know, we were just talking about that. Uh, speaking of, not to get off track here, but uh, Steve uh, Steve Perry used to sing with Journey. They had a tour. They had a guy who looked just like him, who sounded just like him. And you go, that's not really Steve Perry, is it? But it that's looked the it, new Journey. Huh? <laughs> the new Journey, exactly. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. is what happens when you usually perpetuate these uh, these groups. Anyway, hey, uh, Neil, welcome back to the advertising show. Thank you. Yeah, as promised, we're going to jump into behavioral targeting. iMedia Communications is currently preparing the release of a comprehensive report on behavioral targeting planned, I understand, for a mid-July publication. Uh, Also, just to clarify, Neil, are we correct in thinking that this document will also be available online through iMediaConnection.com? That's correct. So uh, downloadable as well as the printed version, and check out, check out iMediaConnection.com. For those that may not be familiar with behavioral targeting, let's begin by just explaining to our audience, if you would, Neil, behavioral targeting, what is it about, why is it growing in such popularity, et cetera? Well, behavioral targeting is a way of tracking the consumer's behavior uh, when they're either on an individual website or even a series of websites. So you're, you're surfing the web, you're visiting a number of sites. When you visit those sites, you're going to a number of different category areas, like maybe auto, 
or um, maybe auto finance or, uh, you know, local loans, whatever. Um, by tracking your behavior, they're able to determine what your particular interests are, and then they start serving you ads that are relevant to those interests. And they're serving them at the right time in the right place, uh, and it's also at a very economical approach for the advertiser. Um, it's a rather unique way of targeting individuals, um, but it's, uh, it, the reason there's so much interest and so much buzz on it right now is just growing so rapidly and so quickly. Yeah, and before we get into further explaining the implementation of uh, behavioral targeting, let's let's talk about a controversial issue right now over privacy, which has received a lot of uh, media attention. Of course, spyware uh, debate, cookie concerns, as well as the expected passage of a anti-spyware bill. What what impact will this have on uh, behavioral targeting? Do you think? Well, it's going to have some impact on uh, on those advertisers who are what we would call below the radar. Those that are uh, grabbing some identifiable information from consumers who are online and using that information to their advantage. Those are going to be shut down, and that's the spyware issue. That's where all of a sudden a, a particular program shows up on your computer and you just can't seem to get rid of it, and it's collecting data and information about you all the time that it's on your unit. I think mm. they're the ones that are going to be shut down. Those that are reputable behavioral targeting companies that have been operating of late, uh, it really is going to have no impact on them at all because they're not collecting information that would say Brad lives at this house at this phone number uh, and he works at this station. So all of that kind of information is really precluded by the current crop of good behavioral targeting companies. Brad lives yeah. under a bridge, by the way. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you. And you should see the wine that I drank. It's a nice brown paper bag, uh, vintage, uh, well, usually a current vintage. Anyway, you know, you were talking about uh, uh, spyware, and, of course, even with the anti-spyware uh, software available now, of course, we all know of spam blocker, yet we continue to see a proliferation of spam. So, you know, I'm not sure even with the new software that, that spyware is uh, going to go away anytime soon, although I wish it would. But yet I guess it really comes down to, uh, Neil, uh, a little, about a minute left here, to a trade-off, I guess, for a little bit of uh, giving up some uh, issues surrounding privacy in exchange for having more customized information pushed at us, huh? Oh, for sure. Uh, think about it. I mean, I'm out surfing the web a lot. Uh, I love seeing advertisements about the latest and greatest golf club that's out there, but I'm not particularly interested in seeing advertising about feminine hygiene products. So what? behavioral targeting helps to identify what my interests are and serves me ads that make my surfing experience a little more realistic, a little more relevant. Well, for a moment there, I thought you were, you know, describing Ray's uh, behavior. No, no, I'll stop that, Brad. <laughs> one track mind, we take a one break. track no, foresight Ray. there. <laughs> <laughs> We've got to take a break here on that note. What a note to take a break on. Oh, why that's, not? That's true about that, too, as far as I, I get so many golf club ads. Hey, how'd you like a free tailor-made uh, driver? It's like, yeah, right. Give me a break. Neil Perry, Vice President of Market Intelligence, iMedia Communications. We'll have Neil back on for uh, quite a long time here in this hour uh, in just a minute. With Ray Shillings, Brad Forsyth, this is The Advertising Show. Make informed decisions about your company's advertising strategy. This is The Advertising Show. It's time to let the dogs out, Brad, okay? 
here on the 12th floor. Probably ought to let him use the elevator. Uh, it's Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth on the Advertising Show. Neil Perry will be back with us here in just a moment. Neil is Vice President of Market Intelligence at iMedia Communications, and we get a chance to talk with him just a little while longer. And uh, right now, it's been what, you, what you've been waiting for, Brad. Oh, it's, yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's all about gross-out candy. Here it is. And now, it's time for the Wacky World of Marketing. Wacky World of Marketing. Here's your host, Bruce Abbott. Our wacky update heads to Candyland, where the New York Times reports gross-out products rule. A recent confectionery industry conference in Chicago featured several gross-out products, such as vomit-flavored jelly beans and Fear Factor candy, based on the reality TV show of the same name. While such extreme-flavored candy has been around since the days of Garbage Pail Kids in the 1980s and Harry Potter in 2000, it's the fastest-growing sector in the $23 billion candy industry according to the American Wholesale Marketers Association. And that, my friends, is the wacky world of marketing. This program was written and produced by Bruce Abbott, executive producer of The Advertising Show. Join us next time when we uncover the strange, the bizarre, and unfortunately, the true wacky world of marketing. All it makes you do is say, why? Yeah. (laughs) Why? Why? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I've seen that stuff, the Harry Potter stuff, the uh, the little jelly beans. That, what is it? Uh, who's the jelly bean manufacturer? Jelly Belly. Well, why yeah. don't you ask Doug? He would know. Doug? <laughs> it's Jelly Belly. I'll Doug? take uh, I'll take uh, jelly beans for a 12. Uh, anyway, but uh, how very interesting. Let's get back to our conversation. Welcome back to the advertising show, Neil. Nice to have you here. Thanks. It's great to be back. Do you like gross yeah, out just, candy, Neil? Hey, you know, I'm not a big candy fan, and after hearing that, I'm still not a big it's candy less fan. Less of a big candy yeah. fan, right. <laughs> yes. well, it's good to know we're at the dinner hour, and we use the word vomit in one of our features here. But, you know, uh, what the heck. Uh, just for, for those that may just be joining us, we're talking about behavioral targeting with uh, Neil Perry, Vice President of Market Intelligence for iMedia Communications. And for, uh, for our background, real quick, defining, I guess, behavioral targeting and see if this is a fair description, Neil. I, I would say that it's basically a way of tracking consumer behavior over specific websites or even, I guess, a network of, of ad sites to determine an individual's interest in a particular product or service and then, of course, being able to uh, deliver an ad that's uh, appropriate for that particular individual's uh, uh, evaluated behavior. Is that fair? Yeah, that's very fair. Uh, well, let's talk a little bit about the implementation of behavioral targeting. I know uh, you've identified three basic uh, avenues or channels in order to do that. Uh, describe those three and, and help, our, help our audience understand exactly what you're talking at there. Well, the first way is probably the simplest, and it's really where behavioral targeting got started, and that was with the adware. Uh, and that's computer-based um, Uh, behavioral targeting. And what happens there is you agree to download a specific program for free, maybe something that tracks all of your passwords or allows you to fill in an application automatically. Uh, In exchange for that software, uh, the company that you got that software from, in this case it might be uh, Claria or it might be WinU, uh, put something on your computer that allows them to track every single website and every single page that you are visiting. And based on all of those visits, they're able to uh, develop a profile on you that says, you know, you're probably a male, you're probably interested in sports, you're probably in the market for a new car, you're probably cash-strapped because you've been looking at a lot of credit card opportunities. And once they have that information, they turn that over to advertisers and say, all right, who would like to advertise to someone like this? And that profile becomes very appealing uh, and also very effective. 
That's the first way. Uh, it gets a little uh, less intrusive when you move to the publisher side, behavioral targeting. And that's where a site like iVillage, a, a, a fabulous women's site, women's targeted site, uh, has a behavioral targeting tracking system placed on their site. So every time you visit their site, it will, it will notice where you are looking. So if you have looked a couple of times at different weight loss programs that are featured on their site, the, the advertisers know that you are interested in that type of information, and they'll find a way of serving you that information as you proceed along the way on their site. The third and final way is, is really very similar to the one I just mentioned, the publisher side. And that's when a network like advertising.com that has hundreds of websites in its family uh, does tracking across all of their websites. So whether you're on someone like iVillage or whether you're over on MSN or whether you're on AOL, it's tracking your behavior on all of those sites and getting a much broader profile of what your interests are and thus, again, able to deliver you the kind of ads that you're interested in and hopefully predisposed to act to. Mm -hmm. And uh, we all hear about optimization now. Is it uh, ad optimization? Is that another uh, category for behavioral targeting? Yeah, this is one. Uh, this is a type of behavioral targeting that instead of uh, really focused on what's good for the publisher, this focuses on what's good for the advertiser directly. Uh, I'll give you an example. If you're, uh, um, let's say you're AOL and you're advertising your own site, AOL.com, and you notice that somebody has come to your site just one time. This is the first time they've ever been there, according to your records. Well, it's a great time to serve them an ad that talks about why AOL.com is interesting. But if they've come four times or five times, maybe what you ought to do then is serve them an ad that talks about enhanced services that you can buy while you're on AOL.com. Mm -hmm. And then a third approach would be, uh, let's say they come to AOL.com. This is their tenth visit, and six of those times they've been on the music section. Well, this would be a perfect time to offer them a subscription to music downloads. Again, you've optimized the site based on their times of uh, visiting the site and their behavior while they're on the site. Hmm. That's very interesting. Let's imagine uh, someone's listening right now, and they are a, an owner of a business, a C-level executive, and they have dabbled in e-marketing but have not uh, considered a more uh, specific uh, behavioral targeting effort, as you're describing. How would one get started in any of those ways in which you just described? Well, there's a, there's a couple of approaches. If it's a C-level executive who's got some big bucks, you can go right to a site like Yahoo, which does their own behavioral targeting. And not only will they fully educate you, they'll be more than happy to take your money and your advertising. Yeah. Uh, but another approach for smaller-sized businesses, those that you know are actively marketing but they're not all that experienced online yet, there are companies out there like Dakota and Revenue Science, uh, both of those are very strong, very powerful organizations that know behavioral targeting inside out. They can help you get started. They can help you build a profile of what your customer grouping should look like and then hopefully deliver those customers for you. And you say Takoda, T-A-C-A-D-O. Uh, uh, I'm messing it up there. No, it's T-A-C-O-D-A. That's right, Takoda. And Dakota.com, I would imagine. But anyway, well, that's very interesting. So if you are a small advertiser, they, they even though they're a national company, they'd be able to help you uh, in your local market uh, regardless of where you happen to be because, of course, we know the Internet is worldwide but yet can be localized. If behavioral targeting, as it sounds like, is all about getting the right data, are there any issues of accuracy when it comes to behavioral data that's out there? You know, it's, uh, there, there's, uh, there are some issues with accuracy, and here's where the challenge comes in. Uh, 
each one of the different behavioral targeting companies will define group categories differently. So if I'm Dakota and I'm going to develop a category of people that are interested in automobiles, I may include those people who do an auto calculator loan function on a site, those people who are in the new car section, those people who are in the new car comparison sections, those people who are in pure finance, just on pure loans. Yet another behavioral targeting one may have a whole different skew of different types of sites that they feel are appropriate for the audit one. So there isn't standards yet. There aren't those standards that make these groupings, these uh, uh, these ad groupings uh, consistent from one, one organization to another. Now, i got to tell you, that's not all bad, as we're still learning what the most optimal lineup of different groupings are. I'd like to see these companies continue to experiment and continue to try different approaches to find out what the right groupings are. Uh, they're doing it now, and I think it's very successful when they do it that way. So asking for a standardization at this early stage you feel would be premature? Yeah, I mean, we're at the point right now where we don't know what the optimal mix is or what the optimal potential is going to be. So mm-hmm. let's let it run with it for a while until we get it figured out. This is still a very new part of the interactive industry, and there's a lot of experimentation going on with a lot of people doing some great work in the category. Yeah, and we're reading about agencies that are all uh, quoting high numbers, according to the study that you currently are finishing up uh, with regard to their anticipated use of uh, behavioral targeting, uh, not only for this year but on into next year. Give us a sense of uh, uh, the agency level of interest in behavioral targeting today. Sure. iMedia went out with the Panaman Institute, and we uh, we we interviewed uh, probably about 70 or so folks who were uh, representing the majority of the online agencies out there. They're projecting right now a 65% increase in behavioral targeted advertising in 2006 versus where it is right now in 2005. We're expecting that almost 21% of all media purchases next year are going to have a behavioral targeting component built into it. That's a that's a big number and that's a that's a growth from only 12 percent about 12 and a half percent this past year Hmm. so uh, are you seeing much in terms of studies out there prior to your launch of your study here in a few weeks with regard to behavioral targeting i mean what, what else do you see that's already out there in terms of research and studies well, I think there there has been a few published of late that are are pretty significant, and these are case studies that a number of the uh, uh, advertisers are finally getting to the point where they're willing to release the data and release the information. One eight hundred Flowers had a significant study that they at least released some some information about, uh, talking about how they were able to beat their estimates for what the cost of advertising was going to be by four or five times wow. versus what they had projected, That's because amazing. this advertising with behavioral targeting is so much uh, more cost-efficient. So that kind of information is really good for the industry to hear and the industry to share. Yeah, well, you know, we were talking earlier about uh, the newspaper industry has been struggling to hold on to what audience they have, and, of course, the online version of... uh, of the newspaper, uh, traditional newspaper content at least, it seems to be uh, an area where they are showing some growth. I would think that the newspaper industry would be a great source or starting point, Neil, for behavioral targeting because they should already have lots of consumer data. What are your thoughts on that? Well, actually, the uh, newspapers are really one of the first ones who had signed up for it. Uh, I know all of the Chicago Tribune papers. I know the New York Times. Uh, I know the, uh, I believe Wall Street Journal even has a, a built-in system of their own. They were one of the first ones to get on board. I know Lorraine Ross from USA Today is a huge proponent of what behavioral targeting has done for them. 
because it's been able to sell off more of their inventory uh, because instead of everyone clamoring, I'll use the auto example again, all of the advertisers clamoring to be on that section, behavioral targeting now tells them there are other sections of USA Today where you can advertise, and it'll still be effective, and it'll be less expensive than trying to be hmm. in that premier site. Less than a minute left here. Contextual marketing as it relates to behavioral marketing. Can you give us a sense of how these two work hand in hand? About uh, fifty, se- about 30 seconds left here. Well, behavioral targeting is all about targeting people. Contextual marketing is all about targeting web pages. So if you want to be on a particular page and you think that's right for your ad, you go contextual. If you want to go after a particular person because you think they're going to buy your product, that's when you take behavioral targeting. Wow. You know, Ray, uh, it's not often. Well, it is often, but when you get a brainiac like Neil on your show, you run out of time, you have a, you know, 30 other questions you wanted to ask the guy, and what do you do? Ask him to buy an extra hour? Yeah, well, yeah, exactly, or just invite him back next time. Well, we'll That'd invite him back. Thing. That's a good We'll plan. invite him back when the new study comes out here, and uh, yeah. he was mentioning off the air that a few weeks when that comes out, we'll give it maybe 30, 45 days and get him back on, and we'll do it again. Go to imediaconnection.com if you want to find out more. And, Neil, thanks for being a part of the show today. My pleasure, gentlemen. Back in just a minute with more on The Advertising Show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth. We've got uh, Andy Borowitz on the way, too. Make your advertising dollars work smarter. You're listening to The Advertising Show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth. I dread to think what became of her. That haunting, exquisite creature. A note of music. A thoughtless word from any one of us. A disturbance of the air could start an earthquake in her. No one could protect her. Dearest from the passion she inspired. That's Brad's favorite fragrance, even though it's for girls, but that's okay. It's not a big deal. It smells good on you, Brad. It really does. with the pantyhose, and then the control top is just doing amazing things for my figure. At your age? Absolutely. Well. I can say that because I'm older than you. Next week. By the way, Ray, Ray, hold on. This just in from the Maury Povich show. You are not the father. I just wanted to let you know that, right? I'm the mother. John Fox is going to be with us next week. John Fox is an author. Of, the, the book is called Marketing Playbook. Sounds like something you take to the track, basically. President of Venture Marketing. We'll find out more about uh, John Fox next week here on the Advertising Show. Mm-hmm. All of the, you know, if you're not paying attention to what's out there, the new trends in advertising, as we talked about today, and really getting specific in, in how you are uh, uh sending your message or what message you're sending, you're kind of losing. You're kind of, you know, what, what is it, the, the, the tail wagging the dog syndrome, yeah. something like that. Um, but they're saying here, uh, this is interesting. This is from the L.A. Times this past week. It says, whether addicted to instant messaging or glued to their cell phones for up to five hours at a time, Teens quickly adapt to a way of life that allows social interaction 24-7. Teenagers have adopted this technology very aggressively, in, well, um, in part because it's inexpensive now and it's mobile, and everything a teenager does is about being mobile and mobile. untethered. Oh, yeah. So it's very interesting. Uh, if, you're, if you're targeting uh, teens, might be good to think about what vehicle you're using to try and hit those teens. It may not be the right vehicle. All right. We've got a flash here, usually always fake for the most part, with Andy Borowitz, who's uh, still a part of American Morning, even though Bill Hemmer is not. (laughs) That's good. It's Andy Borowitz on The Advertising Show. Hi, 
This is Andy Borowitz for The Advertising Show. And now, here's this week's feature from The Borowitz Report. In a new terror tape broadcast this past week, Al-Qaeda mastermind Osama bin Laden dismissed the importance of an Al-Qaeda terrorist currently in U.S. custody, claiming that the terrorist was not the number three man in Al-Qaeda, but was actually only number nine. Mr. Bin Laden took to the airwaves of the Arabic-language Al Jazeera network to downplay Mr. Alibi's capture, saying that the terrorist had been demoted from number three to number nine last autumn, and that his role in the international terror group was largely administrative. Using a PowerPoint presentation of Al-Qaeda's organizational chart, the world's most wanted man offered viewers a rare glimpse into the structure of the highly secretive terror network. According to the chart, Mr. Alibi had no terrorist of any consequence reporting to him and had been given the somewhat nebulous title of Community Liaison. Furthermore, Alibi no longer has an Al-Qaeda expense account and does not get reimbursed for mileage, Mr. Bin Laden said. But in Washington, Defense Secretary Donald Rumsfeld questioned Mr. Bin Laden's tepid appraisal of Mr. Alibi's importance, saying that if the captured terrorist was not in fact number three, he was at least number five or number six. Supporting his position, Mr. Rumsfeld added, we have credible intelligence indicating that Mr. Alibi was Al-Qaeda's employee of the month in April. This is Andy Borowitz, and this has been a special edition of the Borowitz Report from The Advertising Show. To read more reports or to receive daily email alerts, log on to borowitzreport.com. This is Andy Borowitz saying, keep it fake, baby. It's The Advertising Show with Rachel and Brad Forsythe back covers uh, about a minute and a half here we have left in the show. I want to say thanks uh, once again to uh, Neil Perry. No relationship to Steve Perry, uh, but uh, John Fox will be with us next week, author of Marketing Playbook and president of uh, Venture Marketing as well. Hey, this is interesting. Uh, this came from uh, Ad Age this past week. Um, in the cyber category at the uh, the Cannes Lions International Advertising Festival, mm-hmm. U.S. agencies took home 22 awards, second only to Brazilian shops with garnered 25 lions. Crispin Portobogoski took top honors for its site for natural cleaning products in the outdoor ads category. U.S. won 10 lions, and the Grand Prix went to a Chilean Lego ad by Ogilvy and Mather's Santiago office. So all different kinds of things going on here. Very interesting. It's been fun talking with Neil today, and we look forward to getting together with you next week at this very same time here. Uh, the Advertising Show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth. Don't forget to go to the Ad Show or the AdvertisingShow.com website, theadvertisingshow.com. Throughout the week, you can check in with past guests and, of course, what Brad was talking about earlier, the opportunity for podcasting and so on and so forth, as that becomes a reality for the show as well. It's out there. The Advertising Show brought to you by Advertising Age magazine. You can visit online at adage.com. The Advertising Show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth is a Big Radio Midget production, and we will see you next week.